Salam salam, ishtanin, singaye, what's up everybody, it's Omar. And Nura. And we are so excited to have one of my favorite people to be interviewed today, Murtaza Aliyar, otherwise known as DJ Afghanimal, Muki, Mumu. Murtaza, what are your other nicknames? Apparently you have a lot. Uh, <clears throat> my brother-in-law called me Mooks, I think that's where the whole Muki one started. And then okay. I had Taz for like the longest time in elementary school pretty and, dope okay yeah i can't think of and then everybody calls me mo so mo yeah all the stuff people call me mo okay so that's that's the name for the whites okay very cool <laughs> well before we start i wanted to thank you because my sound actually sounds decent now because of you uh, you're our sound editor for the podcast and you had heard how awful my Sound was last time and then next literally the next day the mic showed up at my doorstep it wasn't like it wasn't even 24 hours. So um, thank you. And I guess that intros us into like how, when did you get into music and like attuned to sound editing and all of that? Because you're a DJ. You've got some dope stuff on SoundCloud. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, well, one, I don't DJ. I don't DJ. I compose and like put together music from scratch and it's like all original stuff and then I sample some stuff but how I got into it mainly was because so growing up I had one of my cousins from up north from the Bay Area and every time this dude would come down and you know he'd spend the weekend or spend a week down at our house or I'd go over there he was always like into rapping and making beats and stuff and I just remember as a kid I was like I want to be like him you know what I mean and um and basically that's that was pretty much the motivation so i got this program on my computer i had one of those like old home dell computers that came with like a subwoofer so it was perfect and uh i literally downloaded this program one day and i just kind of locked myself in the room for hours and just learned how to use this program and um it was kind of on from there and drugs had a part to do with it all too so so how long have you been doing this um uh i'd say it's been since i was 14 holy crap oh my god 12 years that's, that's crazy awesome. very yeah. cool yeah yeah any musical influences um <clears throat> yeah there's a lot so uh obviously i think there's like a touch of like afghani music in it you know because they play like very like half noted and quarter note stuff like you know when you go listen to afghan music and they play like mass stuff or katakhani stuff or whatever it might be. did i say that right i think so um so there's like there's definitely an influence of that in there as far as like how i play the keys but aside from that i mean during the time when i started making beats i was just listening to a lot of underground hip-hop so it it, it was lean more towards that but then i started listening to lex luger i don't know if you guys know who lex luger is but he's like the guy he's like the pioneer of trap he made that bmf song with rick ross i think i'm big meech larry hoover he produced that song and then from there everybody was making trap beats so that's kind of when i jumped on that whole train and i was like super into hard knocking 808s and stuff like that so So you were into trap music before trap music became like mainstream I wouldn't go that far. Honestly, I wouldn't go that far, but 
I, I don't. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't want to be that guy. Like I started making trap music before people listened to <laughs> trap music. You know what I mean? But I don't know. He was definitely an influence, uh, a big one. It's dope. And there's a yeah. So. So I know um, music is definitely uh, a passion of yours, and it's something that's uh, really important to you. But uh, you know, in addition to that, it's like a you do a lot of. I think you do a lot of really cool stuff, and there's a lot of really important stuff that you do. Um, that is, you know, in addition to kind of helping us with the sound, something that I, you know, my introduction to you, Murtaza, was last year, uh, I think it was last year through the Afghan American Conference, and yeah. um, you gave um, uh, a C talk, which is basically kind of like a TED talk um, at the conference and talking about your personal experience. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what that was and, and what your talk was about? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I just kind of got up in front of a bunch of people in a room full of Afghans and talked about how I'm a drug addict, recovering drug addict and an alcoholic, and talked a little bit about what the experience looked like before I got sober. <clears throat> and, uh, and then, you know, what happened and what it looks like now. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much just that and you know i i mean there's there's definitely a lot more to that i think like hopefully we can um talk a little bit about it or you know and maybe link to it as well but um it was such an incredibly moving uh talk and yeah. I, I just kind of just to kind of think about like what was it like for you to speak in front of you know over 350 afghans and sharing some of the most personal stories and um moments of your life with them um it was nerve-wracking it was extremely nerve-wracking i mean look like i i've gotten to do somewhat similar stuff like that before like i got to go um with like a couple sheriffs <clears throat> and a detective and this nonprofit group go speak at a, a heroin prevention event um for the police department and it wasn't 350 people, but it was probably like I'd say it was a it was a big community of people out here where I live. It was probably like 100 people. That was honestly like that was easy. Like uh, you know, and I was around cops and stuff like that. And I still don't really like cops, so I was around all that stuff and just like this kind of weird environment. But that was way easier than this. I mean, 350 Afghans talking about like some of my deepest darkest stuff and just being open about it and being transparent and um you know there's there's a lot of fear you know of being judged and being outcasted or people you know somehow things getting back to like my family you know of, of people who don't know in my family or getting back to my mom and you know stuff like that she was i told her i'm gonna go do it and she almost had a heart attack so but um but yeah, I mean, afterwards, what was her reaction? Her reaction, <laughs> yeah. her reaction was meeting Nama Mabadmikni at the Bainav Rona. So basically, you're going to go and, wow. you know, yeah, ruin my reputation around the Afghan community and and stuff like that. And so, I don't know. <clears throat> I just fully believe that, like, during where I was at during that time was, it was like a really it was a really good period in my life. I was doing well in like all aspects of my life. And it, this whole AAC thing just kind of popped up and I got accepted and everything just kind of happened organically. So I felt really good about it. And I just truly felt like God put me there to do that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have fallen in that position if I didn't 
really need to be there and do that and um, and tell my story. So, what was the message you were trying to get across to people? Um, it's a good question. Um, really, at the end of the day, I was trying to get across that, like, you know, we as a community um, and as a, uh, you know, we really need to. <sighs> You know, working on like smashing the stigma revolving around honestly not even drug addiction and alcoholism, just any sort of mental health issues. Like it seems like anything re- you know revolving around mental health or addiction, alcoholism, gambling, it's so looked down upon and you know pushed under the rug. And I was just really hoping that like just getting in front of a ca- crowd like that and just being open and honest about you know my struggles and and stuff like that would push other people to do the same thing throughout the weekend and just if not on a grand scale or in, in, in the groups or the discussions with like one other person that they just met or someone that they've known for a while and just really trying to motivate them to not be afraid of being open to talking about your problems. Because for me, I truly believe that like when I can assess and talk about my problems and look inward and turn, turn the lens inward and look at myself rather than like, you know, um, point fingers outwards or whatever or find problems with my circumstances or think that I'm a victim of my circumstances like you know I tend to grow spiritually mentally physically so um yeah and you've been uh you know you gave you gave a talk kind of uh you know sharing your story but then you've also been a part of a lot more conversations following that and leading conversations uh since then so what's what have the responses been and what have you seen uh, as a result of you being so open and about your, you know, recovering from addiction and, and kind of what you went through? What, what's, what's been the responses and what, what have you seen through those conversations? Yo, it was crazy. Me, it was crazy because it made me feel like it was all worth it. You know what I mean? Like afterwards, I'm like, damn, what did I do? Like, why did I do that? And then I just started getting hit up. I got hit up at AC. I got hit up afterwards. My number got passed along to people. I got on the phone with people. I got to talk to people, and just like so many things, like it went in so many different directions. And I was like, you know, like that's why I was there, and um, it just made me believe in what I was doing. And, um, and yeah, it just, it just made it all worth it when I got to be like placed in positions where I can, you know, give back to the community and be helpful. What are some of the, what are some of the conversations you're having? Um, a lot of it was, you know, my brother, my sister, uh, my family member, you know, they're going through this, they're going through this and this is what their experience has looked like. And, um, and you know we don't know what to do and i don't know how to go about things and it was just you know a lot of um information what was cool is actually i because it seemed like i was dealing more with family um who are dealing with somebody suffering so also what i did was i involved my sister because she has firsthand experience with that so i thought it was really cool because like you know we got to like create this little duo of you know just trying to be helpful to other people so what do you tell people when they say like I have a family member someone close to me that is you know um you know has an addiction and this is something they're really struggling with what do you what do you tell them Um I think it all depends I think it's such a complex disease and uh such a complex matter there's so many different factors there's not like there's never there's never ever ever just one set like 
like route to take. You know, it's about for me, it's always just about asking questions, finding out more about their lives, finding out about what it looks like, seeing what they're like attached to and what's keeping them from, you know, getting help and things like that. And really, honestly, what I've learned more than anything is like I don't really tell them much. Most of the time, I just I just listen and make a few suggestions every now and then, and um, and and the rest kind of just happens on its own. Really, it's 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 hard. There's I don't know. It, it always sucks being on the other side of that phone. There's part of it that's like it's like bittersweet, right? It's cool because I get to help somebody, but it's also bitter because it's like, what do you really tell somebody who's who's struggling with somebody who um, is struggling with addiction and they don't want to stop, you know, you know what I mean? Like I can't be like, yeah, you need to tell him to stop or kick him out of the house or I don't know, whatever, lock his bank accounts down. You know what I mean? Whatever it might be. I can't tell, I can't tell them to do anything like that. So. How is your activism extended beyond the conversation of addiction and um, do you feel like you get pigeonholed to only being t- like gone to to d- discuss that, or like has your like involvement in that extended your work into like other realms of Afghan work? Like, do um, you feel pigeonholed? Like, like oh, it's like you know, like a one-hit wonder where like they hear that thing, so they always associate it with you. Like, how does how do you reconcile with that? For sure, I I absolutely think there's a uh, there's a level of that, right? Um, and, uh, you know, there's always like, oh, hey, you gave that talk or, uh, oh, hey, I heard your talk, which is great. It's and it's awesome. But it's also like not like, you know, my whole identity and stuff. But I think for me personally, as I've gotten to um, I've gotten to give people a different experience, right, with me and that it's like, all right, he's not just like this recovering drug addict alcoholic square guy he's actually whatever you know fill in the blank so and what is it do you feel like people miss out on when they when they do like maybe like do kind of put you in that box or always kind of bring that up um with you what are what are the things that you wish people did know about you or want them to kind of see Dude, ah, uh, that's a <laughs> that's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't. I I really don't know, man. Because sometimes you know I might rub somebody the wrong way with my personality and who I am. But sometimes, um, you know, I'm like, uh, I, I'm a really personable guy. I hate small talk, um, and I, I'm just a really really personable guy. And I just love meeting new people and talking to new people. And I, um. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm kind of an old soul sometimes and um, and I don't know if that's beneficial to anybody or, you know, I, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because like, I, don't, I don't really know. Like, well, I don't want to be like, they're missing out on this right here, this whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> they're missing out on a Fortnite player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was getting into games before this. <laughs> Um, what games do you play? Oh, you're gonna go down that route with me. I'm a straight up nerd, big time nerd. Like I like building computers, and I play a lot of PS4. And I play a game called Smite. It's a MOBA. It's really, really nerdy. I play Fortnite, play FIFA, 
anybody wants to get it in FIFA. <laughs> My PSN is I do the voodoo, I D U D A V U D U. And uh, Counter Strike. I played World of Warcraft for like years. <clears throat> so, so we're talking about things you're. Oh, sorry, Nora. Go ahead. <laughs> Go for it. No, I just never would have expected you to be know. that nerdy. Yeah, I know. You know, that's kind of awesome. And for for folks that don't know, like, so you, my bike, basically, that my uncle, who's like more like my brother, is marrying into your family. So it's fun for me to learn more about you because now we're family, right? So. Oh yeah, absolutely. This explains why y'all have a lot in common because he's into games too. Oh I yeah, think and he's, he's super nerd. He's on a whole another level of nerdy than I am, <laughs> big time, and I love it. But Omar's going to redeem you because I think he has a cool question. <laughs> Speaking of nerd, um, no, I, you are someone, uh, I don't know a lot of Afghans that have as many you know, tattoos as you do. Um, so I would like to know just a little bit more about your tattoos. Like, what are, like which ones are like, most important to you and um, what was it like to get, to get them? being an Uh, afghan well one so my first ever tattoo was on my chest and i got some arabic scripture stuff and my uh (laughs) my uh my mom actually she was like all about it really yeah go do it yeah because here's the thing like all my cousins all of her side of the family all my cousins they're all covered in tattoos they they they're covered more than i am like i'm talking sleeves neck tattoos hand tattoos um you know, my brother-in-law had tattoos, so it was just, it was pretty normal, but, um, she was really about it, and I showed up at home after I got it done, and she was like, oh, wow, and, you know, she was cool, but then I went, when I got sober, I think after a, a year of sobriety, there was just this song that I heard, and there was a line in it that really resonated with me, and then that's when I got my forearms done, and then I showed up at home, I went over to my mom's place, and she almost had a heart attack, and she got pretty upset, but then she got over it. And then I think a year after that, I went and got the genie. And, um, and oh, my God. And then she, she started crying. I said, And I casually, the thing is, I didn't bring it up, right? I was casually just, like, sitting next to her. I'm like, oh, wow, she doesn't realize that my arm is all red. And she doesn't see the tattoo. And then she finally noticed it. And she started crying. And uh, that wasn't good. And then. And I think a year later. What's the, ge- what's the genie? What's the genie about? Oh, the genie is <clears throat> basically I got a genie because I don't know. The past few years, uh, my experience with life has always been that you know, right? Like the concept of a genie, especially in our culture, it's a jinn, and it's like supposed to be like something evil, right? And I kind of associated that with also you know this um, this normal concept of a genie that we know. You know, they'll grant you wishes and stuff like that. And it's like it's almost this easy way to get what to to get what we want, right? And I I got the genie as more of a reminder that you know what I want is probably not always. My experience shows me that what I want is not always the best thing for me and for my life, and you know for the people around me. And not only that, but it's like just a reminder of you know hard work gets you to places, and uh, hard work gets you to things you want, and there's really no easy routes in life like making a wish and it coming true so that's awesome uh and i i appreciate you kind of sharing a little bit more about like what what each one is i know you have a bunch so i'm 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 gonna be asking you more about offline about each one of them because uh i know they all mean a lot to you so they're they're really cool Uh, first one 
What's that? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I said Omar, uh, Omar is going to get one in 2019. This is how <laughs> gossip spreads. You should just get a face tattoo, man. <laughs> um, so we wanted to kind of wrap up a little bit with some, with some fun questions that we think um, may, may resonate with others uh, who may have similar experiences. So one of the things we want to ask folks is um, something that I ex- personally experienced and I think a lot of us do is, is, is like crazy return stories, going to the store and having to make some returns uh, with either yourself or with uh, family members. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about what's your craziest return story. Well, the thing is, I don't think I have like one specific crazy return story. I'm talking about like there's a period of my life where I wore shit and then it was returned the next day. But here, I'll I'll let you in on this. There was someone of great importance in my life. <laughs> We'd go to the store and this person would take the clothes that I wanted or whatever it might have been, right? And then they would go and take something that was cheaper and then they would switch the tags on it. <laughs> so then we'd go ring up wow. and we'd get shit for like $10 cheaper, 20 bucks cheaper, stuff like that. So that was like that was like a big theme growing up right there. You used to do that stuff all the time. No, so. Knowing how to like properly insert those little plastic tags and things is, is a skill. It's a skill. Dude, it's a science. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's very hard to do. My mom has like perfected that and like will not let me rip a tag off ever she's like yeah. no you need to give it to me first properly yeah. do it in case you want to take it back yeah this yeah. is an afghan art i've missed out on oh you could have saved so much money your family could have saved so much money i could have paid off my credit card bills like yeah. all the things balling on a budget mm-hmm. well um you're engaged so this is, we're, we'll ask you about that another time, maybe, yeah. let you off the hook. But speaking of engagements or weddings, what's the most embarrassing story you have from a wedding? Or like uh, memory? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, um, I got two. I'm going to tell you guys two. And I'll keep them short. But first one is the fact that uh, my sister's wedding I was so excited. I went and got this suit. First and foremost, it was such it was a poop brown suit. I don't know why I was excited, but it was a poop <laughs> brown suit, and I was wearing like an orange shirt under it with a brown tie. And what happened was I show up, and then my cousin from uh, San Diego shows up, and we've literally – he bought the exact same suit. So all night long, we're walking around with the exact same poop brown pinstripe shoot, suit. And it was just so embarrassing. And I honestly think the second one is my sister's engagement party. Uh, It was the first time I've ever drank and got drunk. And you know how they have intermissions, right? Like, so there's like a guy or the singer, he's singing like a really, really slow song. Everybody's drinking chai after food and stuff. Nobody's dancing or anything. I'm drunk off my ass. My my cousin and, and a good family friend were all drunk off her ass. We go and we hit the dance floor. And I'm talking helicopter status, like hitting the <laughs> dance floor, doing this intermission, slow music, just getting rowdy. And I just remember seeing the videos afterwards and like, oh, my God, like how embarrassing. But it was a great time. It was fun. Where can we access these videos? Uh, you'll never get your hands on them. Oh, no. They're we'll stored away that. in a vault. <laughs> What about poop brown pictures? Any any pictures of the suits? Matching? I might. I'd ha- I'd have to dig them up. I'd have to dig them up. I'm sure my sister has some. I'm sure I could find them. 
I mean, we want to, and, and we want to thank you so much for, for joining us and, and, and oh, being on here. And also like the fact that, you know, you decided to join, also join the TSN team. And that's something that's really, really cool. And, um, what made you want to join? Well, what brought you, what brought you to the dark was, side? <laughs> well, it was against my own will, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like anything else good in my life. I never want to do it. Right. But then I get involved and I do it and it turns out to be a great experience. So, um, yeah, man, it's, I'm just like really excited about it and hope I can contribute and just surrounded by a bunch of great people who are extremely woke. And I definitely know I'm going to learn a lot and yeah, it's just going to be great. So I'm excited. No, thank you so much. And we, we're definitely learning so much from you. And like, you've been such a role model and like, you know, modeling kind of being open and just talking about these things, uh, which is kind of what TSN is about. So like the fact that you're willing to open up about it and share with us about it is is really awesome. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank um, you. And thanks for sure. taking the time tonight, man. We, we yeah, appreciate you joining us and interrupting some Fortnite to, to <laughs> chat with us. No problem. It's um, so good. I went and played some basketball before this, so <laughs> it's cool. All right, for sure, Mataza. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thank Have you. Have a good guys. night, brother. Appreciate it. Hey, you too.